Hello, and welcome to the Villains and Monsters podcast, where true crime meets thrilling fiction and dark minds come together to talk about all things sinister and psychotic. I'm Cassie Sharp, suspense and thriller author and your host. Hello, and welcome to episode one of Villains and Monsters. Today, I'm going to be reading from my debut novel, Where the Shadow Lies. This podcast, uh, I had originally planned to start at some point this year, um, but I wasn't quite ready to start the Villains and Monsters podcast yet. Um, But, you know, I decided that uh, since I have plenty of time at home right now, (laughs) as I'm sure most of us do, um, I decided to go ahead and start it now. So what the hell? Let's do it. Uh, Villains and Monsters will eventually uh, be a podcast that's focused on a combination of true crime, like monsters, and uh, fictional villains. Um, But amid this crisis, I really wanted to give readers who would rather read by audiobook um, a way to hear my stories. So um, I am going to be reading my two books to you guys. couple chapters a day. Um, and if you have questions, we can talk about what's going on in the stories and we can discuss. Um, so I don't currently have either of my books in audio. That is something that I had planned to work on this year. Um, but I figured what the hell, let's just get that out there for you guys for free. Um, I'm not a voice actor though, um, at all. I am definitely not a narrator. Hell, I don't even listen to audiobooks. I am a visual processor, reading, writing. Uh, that's how I process information. So I get lost reading audiobooks. Podcast, not so much. Uh, I think that's because it has more of a conversational tone. Um, and the podcasts I listen to always keep me entertained. Hopefully I will do the same. Um, but I just wanted to, uh, give you guys a way to hear my books. So, um, this is by no means going to be professional. It's not going to be mastered. It's not going to be, um, like a regular audio book. And, uh, honestly, I might really fucking suck at it, but, Uh, I'm going to try my hardest. And I think that at the very least, it's always cool to hear the way the author intended the story to be read. Anytime that I hear an author read their work out loud, I really enjoy it uh, because it's so different sometimes than what I hear in my head. And it's so much cooler in the author's head, I guess. Um, so, uh, this isn't going to be professional at all. It's not going to be like an audio book, but it is going to be an audio format of my book. So we'll just call this story time. Um, and if you guys have any questions or feedback, or if you want to tell me how much I suck as a narrator, it's all good. Um, go ahead and, um, pass those questions along to me. You can email me at villainsandmonsters at gmail.com. Uh, that's villainsandmonsters at gmail.com. And pop any questions you have about my books or about uh, what part of the story we're in, and I'll have a segment 
um, either before or after I read the daily chapters um, and I'll answer those questions and we'll just kind of have like a little book club. It'll be fun. Okay, so we are going to start with Where the Shadow Lies. Where the Shadow Lies is my debut novel. It was released in 2018. Um, The funny thing is, I haven't read this book since I published it. I was just like, straight to the next book. Um, So I haven't read just, I haven't read it. It's going to be a refresher for me, and I will try to curb my self-deprecation because that's just who I am. Okay, so Where the Shadow Lies is a mystery, suspense, and thriller, and here's the synopsis. If you are somebody who likes to go in blind, you might want to put your device on mute for the next minute or so while I read it out. Quote, For 20 years, she'd had nightmares almost nightly. None of them, not a single one, could prepare her for the horrifying scene she woke up to. End quote. Secrets kill. Lies dig deep graves. And the Tyndalls are swimming in both. J.L. Tyndall, a protective mother with a chilling secret, thinks she's kept her son safe from her past. Until a long-lived lie exposes him to a killer. Terrified and desperate, she enlists the help of a stranger and quickly learns she's not the only Tyndall keeping secrets. When two women go missing and the police start sniffing around J.L.'s family for answers, she must find the courage to confront her nightmarish past before she loses her son forever. What happens when a stubborn mother, a jaded ex-cop, and a disturbed teenager play a deadly game of hide-and-seek with a psychopath? And when all their lives are at stake, can the three of them untangle each other's lies before becoming the killer's next victims? With a shocking twist you won't see coming, Where the Shadow Lies is a complex, twisted tale of suspense that'll keep you guessing until the end. And a quick little heads up, uh, Where the Shadow Lies is told in three separate point of views. So listen for the change at the chapter beginnings. You'll know whose voice it's in. Just listen for it. And also to further prove how non-professional audiobookish this little endeavor is going to be, uh, you're going to hear page flips because I'm reading for my paperback. So anyway, just a little heads up uh, and here we go. Chapter One. There was a weight in the early autumn air. Though they were both persistent in their presence, it was neither the oppressive heat nor the dense humidity that animated the atmosphere this day. The air was fattened, rather, with promises of things to come, bad things. One, rub. As J.L. rubbed her fingers together in one hand, she set her ice-cold soda on the roof of her car with the other. The parking lot was scarcely populated for this time of day, 
a blessing. She hadn't needed to dodge mindless chatter about the weather or traffic when she'd been filling her foam cup inside the convenience store. There'd been no necessity to weave through a sea of patrons within the cramped aisles. She hadn't had to endure the wait to pay for a 79-cent Coke while the fool in front of her had the cashier print a hundred separate lottery tickets. Her day thus far had not been particularly favorable, but this stop had been a small reprieve from anxiety, a tiny inhale of fresh air in a stuffy, confined room. She lifted the handle of her door. Locked. Good. She moved on to the door of the back seat. It was also locked, and there were no fingerprints on the windows. Perfect. Two. Rub. She peered through the glass. First, the floorboard, notably empty. Her eyes traveled to the seat. Clear. All good things. Three. Rub. Jail stepped over a slick oil stain on the cracked pavement. Staring at her trunk, she felt her heart skip a beat or two. She took a deep breath as she depressed the button. Plop. Peek. Empty. Breathe. That was the worst part. Four. Touch. Touch. She shook her head as she rounded the passenger side of her car. It had been a shit day already. The heat wasn't making it any better. Her shirt was already sticking to her back and she just left the air conditioning gas station moments ago. Five. Touch. Rub. Next was the other back door. She tried the handle. It didn't budge. Her shoulders felt lighter and she took in a large, calming breath. Six. Touch. Circle. Seven. J.L. heard the thrum of the bell belonging to the United Church of Christ across the road. Seven of them. Was getting late. She hated getting home after seven. Thanks, Stevie. Eight. Rub. Touch. It was hours past the time she usually stopped here for a drink on her way home. She'd gotten stuck at work because somebody didn't do her job. It was not a skill problem. It was all will, or lack thereof, in Stevie's case. The girl simply did not care. Nine. Touch. The passenger's side door was locked. A peek in the window deemed the car safe. Done. Now to make it home before dark. She rounded the hood. Ten. Circle. Circle. It was one thing to not have the ability or talent to do a good job. Lack of pride in one's work was quite another. It was Stevie's carelessness and Jail's obligation to not leave until the job was done properly that kept her late at work. That put her here at this precise place and time. Such a small incident, staying late at work. Something almost ordinary in its inconvenience. Yet, it was the small breaks in routine, the mild nuances, which had the potential to bring about extraordinary consequences. J.L. looked down at her right hand. Eleven. Her forefinger and thumb kissed, then rubbed together three times. She grabbed her much-needed refreshment off the roof of her car, unlocked her door, and hopped in. Forty-five minutes later, sharp pain began in her toes and radiated up to her ankle. This only served to fuel the rage that was already burning in her gut. That rage inspired another hard kick to her useless hunk of shit car sitting motionless on the side of Highway 40. It hurt like hell, but physical pain was something she could block out. 
She slapped the hair out of her face and grabbed her sodden t-shirt where it covered her chest, tugging at it in an attempt to bring a much-needed breeze to the sweat that saturated the area between her breasts. This fucking day. She was punching the hood of her car, defeat clawing its way through her veins when finally a truck slowed as it passed. The beautiful blue Ford came to a halt a hundred feet ahead on the side of the road. JL stood up, arms at her sides, ready to put on the spare and get the hell out of here. Air conditioning. That's what she coveted most at the moment. She had none in her old car, but an abundance waiting for her at home. The driver's side door of the truck opened. She squinted her eyes against the descending sun to get a look at who approached her. All she was able to gather was that it was a man who stood beside the tail end of his truck. She grabbed her keys, fingering the vial of pepper spray attached to them. Need help, ma'am? It took a few deep breaths to contain the sarcastic remark, which instinctively lurched to her tongue. Do women pull over on the side of the road in 100-degree weather and assault their vehicles if they don't need help? As she inched closer, she could make out his frame and face. I just need to borrow your iron and jack if you have them. It won't take long. He smiled. It was a good smile. Shy meets amused. With the exception of her son, Jason, who had always known how to tug her heartstrings, she'd practically been immune to the charms of the male species since she was a teenager. It would make me a complete jackass if I sat here, kicking my boots, watching while you use my tools to change your tire. You can cool off in my truck while I put that spare on for you real quick. That work for you, ma'am? His southern charm was almost endearing, but she'd never been one to swoon over an accent. Like all things, voices may seem pretty on the outside, but darkness lurks. If it's there, it'll be hidden. She gave him a reluctant nod. The word cool was what did it. At her agreement, he reached in the bed of his truck and produced his tools. He walked toward the other side of the car to get to work. She took it as her cue to go sit in his. JL sank into the luxurious leather upholstery in his passenger seat, basking in the cold air that blew all around her while she studied him in the side mirror without his knowledge. Can't be too careful. She sat forward to get a closer look, always memorize the face. He was tall and fit, yet not overly muscular. Certainly her age, or a little older, evidenced by the dusting of gray around his ears and his otherwise dark hair, and the few wrinkles in the corner of his eyes. She couldn't make out their color, but she figured she had a good enough look to be able to identify him in a lineup. She closed her eyes and reclined her head in the soft seat. She had to admit, he was attractive, sort of. She tried to imagine what other women, what normal women, would do in this situation. Stevie would have started drooling right away, no doubt, and tried to help him with his jack and iron. JL sighed, knowing she'd never be able to bring herself to make an advance. Loneliness had never taken over because she hadn't ever allowed it to. Jason had kept her busy for most of her life, and the only time she'd felt truly lonely was the first night he left home for college. The University of Louisville was only an hour away, but he'd, insist he'd insisted on living on his own. He rented a small house right outside the city, which meant he only lived a half hour away. Still, it was hard. 
in the years since he'd moved, she had agreed to go on two dates, polite attempts to dodge conflict or chatter with strangers, and neither of which she actually showed up to. All done. She jumped at the sound of his deep timber. He was standing just outside the driver's side door. She peered across the expanse of the cab, her gaze landing on his eyes. Light hazel. She stared a moment too long, trying to find words. Kind of you to help a stranger. He continued to hold her gaze, his head slightly cocked. Her hands fidgeted in her lap as as he continued his silent study. His eyes left hers, distracted by what was happening with her fingers. As her breathing began to escalate, his brows furrowed. Her forefinger met her thumb and rubbed. One, two, three, four, five. Breathe. Six, seven, eight. Breathe. Nine, ten, eleven. Realizing he noticed, she shook her hand before she started it over, then threw open the door and climbed down. I'd better be on my way then. There was a slight tremble to her voice that hadn't been present before. JL tried to remain calm as she walked toward her car. She glanced up in time to see that he'd moved in the same direction and was opposite her across the truck bed. His scrutinizing eyes were focused on her. Wait, the stranger held his hand out. Her spine stiffened and her eyes narrowed. She didn't pause in her progression as she cleared the tail of the truck and quickened her steps to get to the safety of her car. She turned back to glare at him. He was still walking toward her. Quick steps turned to a brisk jog as her pulse rocketed. He, she tripped on loose gravel twice, fumbling to regain her balance before it was too late. She slammed the trunk shut and ran to her driver's side door. Get in and lock it. By the time her shaky hands got the damn door open, she risked a glance his way. He had stopped his advance, and there was a deep crease in his forehead as he watched her fumble. I just wanted to give you my card. He held out a white business card up for her to see. JL let out a shaky breath. He slowly bent over to set the card on the gravel, peeked at her one last time, turned on his heel, and got in his truck. The dust had already settled by the time she realized she was alone. She looked down the road in both directions, waiting to see if he was lurking anywhere before she moved. When she felt relatively safe, she jogged to retrieve his information, then sprinted back to her car. She glanced at the card when she was settled in her seat. It was nothing fancy, just six black words floating on a white backdrop. Xander Williams, Private Investigation and Security. She raised an eyebrow, threw the card in her purse, and put the car in drive. There were a few stops she now needed to make before she went home. In JL's trembling left hand, sweat soaked the filter on the Marlboro she loathed herself for smoking. She had stopped clouding her lungs ten years ago. The pack sitting on her passenger seat was an impulse buy at the liquor store she'd just vacated, her second stop after leaving the side of the road. She had spent ten minutes in an aisle catching up with her old buddies. Reka, Svedka, and dear, sweet, absolute. It had only been a couple years since she forced that friendship to fizzle. She'd managed to talk herself out of buying one of the beautiful bottles on that shelf. As she made her way out of the store, she noticed the strange stare of the clerk behind the register. The girl had looked to be in her early 20s, but her judgmental glare seemed much older. Crazy women talking to themselves in liquor stores must not be as common an occurrence as one would think. It was then the shiny gold box had beckoned from the shelf behind the counter. Her nerves were infuriated at her for leaving that aisle sans bottle. They had a craving for a liquid high, a 
approaching the clerk and asking for a packs of smokes had been their retribution. The first couple inhales were the worst. Once she got past those, it was all smooth sailing. She steered with one hand and puffed with the other. While she managed to navigate the sharp turns of the road with a donut in place of her busted tire, one-handed and light-headed, the only thing on her mind was Jason. Damn it, you forgetful boy. J.L. winced. She shouldn't damn Jason for her issues. She knew the majority of them were irrational, but it didn't mean they wouldn't suffocate her if she let them. Jason was the only thing that kept her above the surface. It had been that way for 19 years. No, she couldn't blame the kid for her fears or for this shit-tastic day, but she was going to remind him to return the things he borrows in the future. J.L. lit another cigarette and turned onto his road. She'd be at Jason's in less than five minutes, and she wanted to get another smoke in to calm her nerves. As JL pulled into Jason's driveway, she noticed he was standing just outside his black Jeep in the clothes he always wore to football practice. He was going to be in a hurry then. She parked and got out of her car, determined to make this as quick as possible. Jason hated being late. You must have just left. Forget to write something down? Jason asked as he she approached. What? What? He shook his head and leaned in to kiss her cheek. Did you forget to return my tire kit? She tried to keep her voice short. He paused for a moment and thought, damn, I guess I did. I'm sorry. I'll grab it. She opened her mouth to tell him to keep it, but he cut her off. Wait, why did you need it? Did you get a flat? She blew out a long pent up breath. I had a blowout on 40 in the middle of nowhere. Just vocalizing the memory brought back the feeling of being defenseless. She shivered, though the air was warm and looked away. The white siding on his modest house was so clean it almost sparkled despite the rains that had pummeled Kentucky these past few weeks. A true testament to his meticulous housekeeping. When? Why, why didn't you call me? The concern in his voice deflated any remaining irritation. I would have, but my phone was, is dead. You can't forget to return things like that, Jason. Try to be more mindful, okay? Jason turned, opened his door, and fumbled with the release latch for the back hatch. When he moved, the breeze blew a piece of paper at JL's head. She was blinded by it, and it took a few moments to wrangle it off of her face. When she finally untangled it from the rebellious strands of her wild hair, she looked down to see what had just molested her. Everything that happened next was in slow motion. Turn paper over to see a handwritten note. Begin reading the first line. Thump, 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 thump. JL choked in air. Every muscle in her body tensed as she forced herself to read the rest. The signature was blurred by the tears in her eyes, but she knew who the sender was. Oh, God. No, 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 no. The ground was spinning and shaking. Her body followed its motion, quaking breaking. It took a moment to realize Jason was holding her. Where did he come from? Mom, mom. His voice was a frantic wail in her ear. Why are you yelling? Hers was hoarse, scratchy. I was getting the kid out of the back and you started screaming. Was she screaming? She didn't. She couldn't. Why couldn't she breathe? Everything was too bright, yet the world was fuzzy. She examined Jason. He looked distorted. The green blades of grass started turning black in her peripheral view. She looked down, around, 
Everything was gray and black and she couldn't breathe and she couldn't think. Why are my eyes leaking? Jason shook her so hard her eyes snapped back to his face until he came into focus again. What the hell is going on, Mom? What's wrong? You're scaring me. I, I don't, I, what was wrong? She didn't fucking know. Just then, she saw it in her hand, a piece of paper. The ink had engulfed the page and was starting to run onto her fingers. She watched as her hand turned black. It continued to infect her wrist, inched up to her arm, and up, up, up it went. Headed to her soul, no doubt. And that's when JL began to laugh. Chapter 2. Jason, you're up. Professor Higgins held up a torn piece of paper that he'd pulled out of a basket with Jason's name scrawled on it. Jason cracked his neck as he tried to come up with an excuse to get out of it. He was not in the mood today, though he'd never be in the mood to be inspected under a microscope. He wished he'd stayed in bed instead of going to the damn study group. Jason looked his professor in the eye and subtly shook his head. Come on up. You aren't getting out of it this time. Jason grudgingly stood, making his way to the front of the room. It was technically Higgins' office, but it was as large as some of the classrooms on campus. Subtle differences gave it a more intimate appeal. Lighting came from floor lamps and a single fixture in the center of the ceiling, opposed to the blinding fluorescence in lecture halls. Curtains and knickknacks decorated the space, giving it personality instead of sterility and it smelled of cinnamon and cloves instead of sweaty jocks and too much cucumber-scented body spray. There were six other students in his study group, and Jason saw smirks and contained laughter from most of them as he made his way to the hot seat. Dean and Portia had coined the term to describe the chase that sat at the head of the professor's office. They'd both had their names drawn from the basket before, and were the only ones not currently enjoying the thought of Jason having to divulge personal information. But he'd failed his first exam in Psychology 201 and was sentenced to participate in Higgins' torture sessions for one hour each week until the midterm exam. So he had no choice but to talk. Do I seriously have to sit in that thing? I'll be just fine with a regular chair. Higgins frowned, scrunching his nose as if he'd caught a whiff of something foul. Yes, you have to sit in it, Mr. Tyndall. It is a requirement of this group. Go on now, get comfortable. Try to go easy on you. He sat forward in his chair, wearing a wry smile that Jason wanted to smack off his face. Jason looked at the chase that had likely been used by hundreds of students before him. He doubted Higgins had ever had it cleaned or sanitized, and he could almost feel the taint of exposure emanating from its porous surface. Jason shook his head, forcing himself to settle into the black leather lounger, he crossed his arms and glared in resignation at the professor. All right, folks, lesson of the day is childhood. We've all had them and all been shaped by them in one way or another. As always, I am going to ask the first couple questions, and all of you will listen and come up with a question of your own. Higgins nodded to Jason. Let us know when you're ready. He would never be ready to be dissected, but was somewhat relieved at the subject Higgins had chosen. There were no dark secrets in his childhood, no traumatizing abuse or neglect. He could handle this without becoming another victim of the hot seat. Yeah, go ahead. 
Higgins grabbed his legal pad and fountain pen. This first one sounds terribly cliche, but it's important nonetheless. Jason, tell us about your parents. Jason's shoulders sagged with relief. My mom, she's pretty awesome. Works as a caretaker for elderly and disabled people. She's been doing that since I was about 13 and has always been a good mom. He took a deep breath. There. Done. Next question. The professor scribbled something on his pad before setting his pen down and clasping his hands together on top of his desk. He inspected Jason for a long, uncomfortable moment. That's very nice. Could you indulge us a little more? The leather creaked below him as Jason squirmed. I don't know what you mean. You said she's always been a good mom. How about you give us an example of that? Higgins used his hands when he spoke. Not in the subtle way most people do. His movements were dramatic, overly so. Jason shrugged. She's just always been there for me, you know? Always asked me questions, and I can talk to her about pretty much anything. He heard a snicker from the other side of the room. His chest tightened, his jaw turning to stone. That's good, and I'd venture to say rather rare these days. I'd like you to think of a specific memory from your earlier childhood. Something you feel encapsulates the fondness you feel for her. I'll give you a few moments to think of it, and then I'd like you to share it with us. He gave Jason a reassuring smile. Jason's heartbeat escalated. His hands were like a dog emerging from a lake, soaking wet and trying to shake it off. He raked his hair with both of them in an attempt to stop the tremble. His memories were his own. Nobody had a right to ask him to hand them over. He didn't want these people to know him on a deeper level. It felt like an intrusion, an encroachment on all the things he kept locked inside. Unfortunately, he had no choice but to accommodate the inquisitive professor. He closed his eyes and reclined his head. One of his very first memories came to mind, and the warmth that accompanied calmed him into a trance-like state. I was six or seven at the time. It was winter, and schools and businesses were closed across the city. There had been a terrible ice storm that had done significant damage to power lines and trees. Nobody in the neighborhood had power, and it had been that way for two weeks. You know, when you hear a bad storm is coming, you usually stock up on bread and milk and firewood to last two or three days, right? I mean, this is Kentucky, not Alaska. I don't think anyone predicted the weather would get that bad or do that much damage. Anyway, mom, being the planner she's always been, stocked up on about three weeks worth of food and water. She told me she figured it wouldn't hurt to have extra around in case we ever needed it in the future, but she drastically under-calculated the amount of firewood we would need. We'd been in the blustery gloom with no wood to fuel a fire for two days, and I was sick of eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the dark. Mom was outside, trying to start the car again. The freezing temperatures had caused it to die, so there was no chance of warming up in our heated car, nor did we have the means of transportation to go out and look for firewood in a region where the ground and all its inhabitants were frozen solid. It scared me, the thought of us running out of food and water the way we'd run out of firewood two days before. I was huddled under a million blankets in my mom's bed with a flashlight. I watched my breath, pretending it was smoke from a big, warm campfire. The bed bounced as mom flopped down on it, huffing her frustration at that damn car. 
Jason felt the chill of the memory on his skin, could almost see his breath swirling in the air behind his closed eyelids. He was no longer sitting in the hot seat in Higgins' office. He was in Mom's room, freezing and terrified. I have a surprise for you, kiddo, she whispered. Mama? I asked. She grabbed my small hand. Yes, Jace? Are we going to die? It was hard to voice that question because I didn't want to upset her even more than she already was. Her arms engulfed me in one of her tight bear hugs that had always made me feel safe. Of course not, love. Why would you think that? I remembered a movie my babysitter had been watching a few months before the storm hit. An airplane had crashed in snowy mountains and people froze to death. At the time, I hadn't understood how people could die from being cold. But under those blankets in mom's bed, shivering as I was, I began to grasp the gravity of our situation, and I was terrified we'd turn out like those stiff, lifeless people on the movie. I relayed the plot to her. <sighs> Clara shouldn't have been watching that movie with you in the house, Chase, but that doesn't matter. I'm your mama, baby, and I will always keep you safe. She tucked a strand of my hair behind one ear and smiled at me. Did you know a long time ago people didn't have houses or cars? They didn't have heaters or even lamps. You know where they lived? My eyes got big. Where? They lived in caves. The caves were small enough to keep in as much heat as possible, and it kept them alive all winter. They hunted wild animals for food and carved their own tools from wood and stone. Cavemen were pretty cool. No sissies allowed. She smiled and I squealed in laughter. But we don't have a cave. You don't think so? I bet if we look real hard, we can find a cave of our very own somewhere around here. I considered that skeptical. You can't find a cave in a house and it's too cold to go outside. Let's just go look. Can't hurt, right? She asked. I shrugged. I followed mom into the kitchen. She pretended to scan the room, asking me to shine the flashlight in all the corners. No caves here, buddy. Let's go look in your room. It was so cold, my entire body was shivering, and as soon as she noticed, she swooped me up in her arms and apologized. I'm sorry, baby. Mom is so, so sorry, honey. God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what she was sorry for. It wasn't her fault that it was negative a thousand degrees outside. She carried me back to her room and scooped up all the blankets I'd been snuggled in off her bed and wrapped them tightly around my small, freezing body. Remember I said I have a surprise for you, kiddo? I nodded. Well, I made us our very own cave in the living room, except it's better than a cave because it's made of pillows, cushions, and blankets instead of stone. What do you say, Jace? You want to be a caveman with me? Wow, was my first thought. I couldn't wait to see what she'd built for me. We could pretend to make tools and hunt. A hundred variations of a new cave game ran wild in my imagination. Then I realized there was one serious problem. You can't be a caveman, mama. You're a girl. She laughed for what had to have been the first time since the power went out. You're right. I'll be the cave mama and you can be my little caveman. That sound better? I clapped my hands in excitement. She carried me to the living room and told me to shine the flashlight on the outside of our cave to make sure there's no bears trying to get in our space, she explained. It was awesome. 
that looked like she'd taken every pillow, blanket, and even the shower curtains and cushions from the couch to make a huge dome with a small entrance right in the middle of our living room. That's our very own cave, I'd asked. It sure is. Let's go inside, baby. Her lips were shaking, and she sounded funny when she talked. Her speech was slow, like she couldn't find the words quickly enough. Her skin was ice, and it kind of burned me as she held me in her arms. When we got inside the cave, it was greater than I'd even imagined. All of my favorite stuffed animals, a bunch of juice boxes, water, and some snacks were piled up in one corner. There was a large bed on the far side of the cave made with what must have been every pillow and blanket we owned. She sat me down in the center of it and rearranged all the blankets we brought with us from her room until I was almost suffocating with their weight. When she was done, she hugged me so tight. Right away, I started making up a new imaginary world that surrounded us. There were animals roaming around the living room and a roaring fire in the middle of our cave. There were other cavemen that lived around there as well, but we stayed away from them because they were strangers. Mom got into the game and we spent hours laughing and playing. When we got tired, she tucked all the blankets tightly around us and we snuggled together. I realized then that I was warm for the first time since the slivers of ice had begun to pelt our small home. You're such a great mom. This was the best day ever, I'd said with a yawn. She sniffled for a quiet moment before she responded with her usual, I love you more than mint chocolate ice cream, Jason. I'd smiled and answered with my normal, I love you more than Cheetos, Mama. Higgins' office was dead silent. Jason's head was still propped back, eyes still closed. He pulled his body, his knees up to his body, wiping his hands on his pant legs. Why did he go into so much detail? He'd gotten lost in the reminiscence. Jason couldn't think of a time when anyone had asked him to share his child memories, and now he knew why. Nobody fucking cares. Higgins' voice reached him in the downward spiral of negativity. That was a great story. I can see why you have such a fondness for your mother. She really took care of you, didn't she? Jason raised one shoulder. Yeah, I guess. Open your eyes, Jason. Jason shook his head. He didn't want to see the quiet laughter and judgment reflected in the expressions of everyone in the room. He couldn't get through this. He could get through this with his eyes closed, then leave before everyone else. Seriously, Jason, look up. He opened his eyes slowly, allowing adjustment to the light. He saw the professor first. There was a peculiarity in his gaze. Higgins nudged his head to the left. Look. He looked. Everyone was staring at him. Portia and Emily had tears in their eyes. The guys regarded him in silent reflection. Jason fidgeted in his chair. We done now? He eyed the exit. Two steps, maybe three. Higgins tilted his head. Afraid not, young man. We've only just begun. You only answered one part of the first question. I asked you to tell me about your parents. So, let's hear about your father. There was an intensity in Higgins' posture, as though the next part was a test, an examination of sanity, a breakthrough in the case of what makes Jason a freak. Jason raked his hair with both hands. Hadn't that been enough? 
He hadn't shared that much with strangers his entire life. The study group was bullshit. He'd just have to make up the grade in summer school. He slammed his hands on the arms of the chase. Lifting himself out of the seat, he stood to face Higgins. It was time to end this. The professor spoke before Jason opened his mouth. Mr. Tyndall, I suggest you sit back down. We both know you need to pass this class to remain eligible. He looked at his watch. There's only a half hour left. I think you can get through the next 30 minutes unscathed. Jason balled his fists. There was a burn in his lower abdomen. It crept upward, flushing his skin as it ascended toward his chest. Higgins was right. He needed to pass this damn class, but at what cost? Jason struggled to even his breaths as his emotions warred inside him. In the end, he sat with a huff and a rigid posture. Good. Now, where were we? Higgins looked down at his legal pad. Ah, yes, your father. Tell us about him, please. Jason crossed his arms. My father, he huffed. It had been a long time since he'd thought of him. My father was a good man. He passed away a long time ago, okay? His tone was tart, the sourness of his moods spreading, infecting. Higgins raised a brow. That must have been very hard. How old were you when you lost him? Do you have any siblings who have memories of him? Jason studied his hands that rested in his lap. Hands like my father. <sighs> he died a long time ago. I don't have any siblings. There was some sort of complication when I was born and mom had to have a hysterectomy. Jason looked up. Higgins was scrawling something on his notepad. Would you close your eyes for a few minutes, Jason? The professor was a bit too demanding for Jason's patience, but he complied. It was almost over. Thank you. Now, I want you to think of your earliest memories again, but this time I want you to think of an event or a holiday. Christmas, Thanksgiving, a birthday, anything. Keep thinking through those until you can picture one with your dad. That wasn't exactly easy. Jason's hands were clasped together and his eyes were squeezed in concentration. On the very edge of the black void, there was a hazy picture. He couldn't make out the face or any clear details, but he saw his hands, their hands, holding a white and blue cake. Yeah, I've got it. Excellent. Can you describe the surroundings? There was a cake, a large sheet cake. My dad, he set it on the plastic tablecloth and stood back to take a picture with one of those old-fashioned film cameras. There were blue plates and forks sitting next to the cake and laughter, a lot of laughter. Can you remember any words that were spoken? words? He hadn't thought of it in years. Sweat puddled between his clenched hands. No, I don't remember. That's okay. Can you think of anything else you saw? Higgins' rushed words sped up the memory until he saw her. Yeah, my mom. She was young and happy. She smiled a lot that day. Anything else? He focused on mom. She'd been radiant, glowing. Yeah, she kept touching her stomach. Like protectively. My dad did too. He always brushed it with his palms when he pa passed her that day. It was round and the alarm on Higgins' phone interrupted his thoughts. Jason looked up, the picture fading completely. The alarm was still chiming as he met the professor's furrowed brow. Looks like time's up. Jason smiled and hopped out of the chase. Gotta get going, professor.
He dipped his chin to the still silent teacher and left the room. As he neared the end of the hall, he could still hear the alarm. Hand poised on the door to exit the building, Jason stopped short when he heard his name. It floated through the air, a lyrical echo resounding through the hallway, hitting him in the gut. He turned. Jason, Emily Marshall said again when she joined him at the exit. He cleared his throat. Emily, hi. She ran her small, milky hand through her wavy hair. Sorry, I'm sure you're busy. Do you, can I, uh, can I ask you a question? Jason glanced back to the doorway of Higgins' office. Wary of her intentions, he clenched his fist. Emily had never given him a second glance before, and just because he'd been forced to share personal shit in their study group just now did not mean they were friends. He raised an eyebrow. Go ahead. She smiled. His heart dipped. Shit. I really need some help studying for Higgins' next exam. Would you, could you help me? He scratched the back of his neck. Uh, maybe sometime. She took a step closer to him, almost intimately close. I need help today, Jason, if you're willing. There's too much going on between tomorrow and the exam. This is the only chance I have. She grazed his shoulder with her hand. Please, I'm desperate. Desperate. Yeah, she'd have to be. Despite his hesitations, he found himself nodding. Jason sat at his kitchen table, wringing his hands together in his lap, trying to control his breathing. How did he get himself into this situation? Other than mom, he'd never had any visitors in his house. He glanced across the table, past the papers and pens and highlighters and pencils strewn everywhere into the face of Emily Marshall. She raised her head from her notes and caught his gaze. He immediately ducked his own regarding the textbook sitting in front of him. Can you please stop shaking your leg? I can't concentrate. It wasn't until she spoke the words that he realized his left leg was practically convulsing under the table. Jason took a deep breath. He had to calm down. He stood quickly, heading to the fridge to get a beer. Popping the top, he finished the whole thing in two gulps. When he turned back to Emily, she was staring at him. He held up the bottle. Want one? She smiled. Yeah, I love one. He retrieved another bottle from the fridge and placed it on a coaster in front of her. Sitting in his chair, he tried to focus on the abnormal psychology book in front of him. Words that connected together to form sentences were staring back at him, but he couldn't make sense of any of them. Why is she here? It made no sense. Psychology 201 had about a hundred students in it. She could have asked any one of them to help her study for the exam next week. Hell, every guy and half the girls in that class would kill it a chance to spend time with her. Emily Marshall was not only popular on campus, but she was also gorgeous. And she at least pretended not to know it. Okay. So you know how we have to do a midterm project where we like psychoanalyze someone else and present our analysis. Emily's voice was an odd mixture of timidity and cheerfulness. Jason nodded, having no idea where she was going with it. She cleared her throat. Well, I thought if we did each other, I, I mean, you know, like analyzed each other, then we'd probably get like brownie points since everyone else is going to do someone who isn't in the class. She smiled. Jason blinked slowly, glancing back down to his textbook. 
The first thought that popped in his head had to do with the fact that Emily had used the term brownie points to describe a grade on a college assignment. He tampered that down. Not going there. Then he almost wanted to laugh at the thought of allowing this girl to analyze him. That shit was not happening. How could he tactfully let her down? Maybe if he told... Shit! Jason jumped in his seat. Emily was frantically moving papers out of the path of destruction her spilled beer was causing. He watched the flow of the seeping mess, seeping, seeping, seeping into the crevices of the ebony tabletop down to the area rug. Jason scurried to the kitchen and grabbed a towel out of a drawer. When he returned, Emily was using sheets of paper to soak up the liquid that was still bleeding onto his white rug. The soggy paper was disintegrating, pieces of it sticking to his pristine table. Move out of the way, Emily. His tone sounded harsher than he meant it to. The impulses, the impulses. She immediately stepped aside. He snatched up all the pieces of paper and shoved them into her hands. He scrambled to the trash can. Open up the cabinet right under the sink. Hand me the spray bottle that's third from the right. He heard the opening of the cabinet and could actually feel her pause. He knew what she saw, but there was no time for that shit. Emily! Still bent down, she darted her gaze from him to the cabinet and back. It must have taken a moment for his tone to sink in. When it did, she grabbed the bottle and rushed to him. I'm sorry, Jason. It just slipped. She sounded upset. Well, so was he. Jesus Christ, she was a grown woman. He, sh he was sure she'd held her fair share of beer bottles since she began college. And anyway, she should have been more careful. When you're a guest in someone's house, you should be fucking careful. How would she like it if I... How would she like it if he flanced around about her house, ruining those fancy scarves she wore in every single color and pattern imaginable, spilling shit in her $1,000 boots, straight ravaging all the ridiculous things she cherished? His home was his safe space, the only place he could relax. Every item tucked away exactly where they went, each surface clean, each fucking rug spotless. When he finished wiping the table, he glanced down to assess the damage of his rug and paused. Emily was on her hands and knees trying to soak up beer with a towel. He hadn't even realized she grabbed one. Her shirt had ridden up in the back a few inches just above her jeans. The top of a tattoo was peeking up at him. The only thing he could tell was that it had brilliant shades of blue and yellow that seemed to swirl together. He was so mesmerized he didn't hear her sniffle, didn't even notice she was glaring at him. If you're done staring at my ass, maybe you could tell me which one of your hundred bottles of chemicals I should use to get this stain out. She sounded pissed. Her eyes were red as though she'd been crying. Shit. She also thought he was checking her out. Shit. I wasn't staring at your, um, your, uh, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Seriously, just tell me what to use. He strode to the kitchen to retrieve the carpet cleaner with bleach. When he returned, he held his hand out to help her up. She shook her head. No, it's my mess. I'll clean it up. He took in a deep breath through his nose. <sighs> On one hand, she seemed upset, so he should probably try to please her. On the other hand, he knew how to clean the rug, and it would be quicker and less stressful if he just did it himself. Plus, it's not polite to make guests clean up messes, right? He forced his tone and demeanor to gentle when he said, let me help you up. I've got this. She eyed him for a moment, but relented when she placed her hand in his. It was soft and warm. 
He gazed down at their hands. Hers was dainty and fragile compared to his. It was creamy white and flawless, and her fingernails were a shiny lilac color. He never understood why women paint their nails. He'd watched his mom do it a thousand times, but never questioned the motive. It made her happy to have pretty nails. Her happiness had been everything. The sound of a throat clearing pulled him away from his thoughts. He snatched his hand back. I think I better be going. I gotta get some things for tomorrow. Are you going? I never miss a home game. She tucked a strand of her golden hair behind one ear. Jason couldn't tell whether she asked because she wanted him to go or was hoping he wouldn't. Not that it mattered. Just the fact she'd asked, like he wasn't on the team, showed him where he stood. To her, to everyone. It would hurt to be overlooked if he wasn't so used to it. He didn't give a damn anymore. Fuck them and her. To the football game? No, not my thing. Bitterness crept into his voice and oozed out of his clenched fists. She nodded. She nodded like she agreed, like she couldn't even picture him at the game. Weird, antisocial guys like him couldn't possibly want to go cheer on a team with their peers. Well, she was right about that. He didn't want to sit in the student section with all the drunk idiots screaming their heads off. Oh my God, this is super awesome. We're like totally going to win the conference title this year. Who wants another swig? Hashtag selfie. No, thank you. That wasn't for him, and it seemed that they both knew it. I'll see you in class on Monday. Thank you for having me over. She had her messenger bag slung over her shoulder as she made her way to the foyer, her head down, her steps hurried. Yeah, see ya. When the door closed behind her, he finished cleaning her mess. When that was done, he grabbed the remote to his stereo system, pressed play, and turned the volume all the way up. Nightmare by Avenged Sevenfold blasted while he started getting ready. Before he left for practice, he took one last look at his rug. No stains. He'd been an asshole to Emily, he knew. He wasn't used to people in his space. Nobody knew how to do the things the way he liked them done, or how his bottles of household cleaners were organized by type and in alphabetical order within their category, or why he had so many of them. Look, multi-surface cleaners are bullshit. They don't clean everything the same way. He had chemicals for nearly every surface in his house, and she'd mock that, just like most people would. The whole incident was just one perfect example of why he didn't get close to people. It wasn't until he slung his bag into the back of the Jeep that he heard the sound. Tires on gravel. Okay, so that ends chapter two, and that's where we'll stop today. Uh, chapter, the first few chapters in the book are pretty long um, as the book progresses and, of course, gets more suspenseful and such. The chapter shortens, so there will be more than two chapters eventually per episode. But um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, obviously, now you really know that I am not a voice actor. <laughs> or a narrator. Um, but I will be working on my skills and hopefully by the time we get toward the end of this book and onto the next book, I will have developed a much better 
narrator's voice. Um, there were a couple little mess ups in there. I kept them in because I didn't want to keep recording it. Um, so bear with me. I'll get better. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And you will hear the next episode pretty soon. I don't know exactly if it's going to be like two, three times a week, probably. Um, we'll see how that goes. Um, again, if any of you have any questions or feedback or, um, want some clarification over the first couple chapters, feel free to email me at villainsandmonsters at gmail.com villainsandmonsters at gmail.com. You can shoot me an email and I will discuss it in the next episode before I start reading the next few chapters. All right. See you guys soon. Thanks.